It's the top of the hour, so make sure your Fifth Amendment rights are being respected. This is Two on One, the Internet's top sensation. You have the right to listen. I am one of your co-hosts, the Reverend Arthur Stewart. I'm your other co-host, the Reverend Stephanie Kendall. And today we're talking Better Call Saul with friend of the show and first guest ever, Travis Smith-McKee. Um, oh, now so- we're at 101, so that's fun. Yeah, the odometer turned over. That's fantastic. Yeah. Happy 101st. Happy 102 on 101st. <laughs> we're, we're after Pentecost. We're in the middle of Pride Month. Do you know what this means? It's my birthday in two days. It's your birthday in two days. Do you know what else this means? <laughs> that you can get a stole from Jeff Wenrow in a rainbow design? Yeah, but what, what, what liturgical season is almost here? <laughs> um... <laughs> Advent. Yes, Advent is almost here. Pentecost has happened, so you need to start planning for the season of Advent as soon as possible. And you can after do that. my birthday. Do it after your birthday. That's fine, but make sure you go to jeffwonder.com to look at all sorts of liturgical textiles. For 17 years, Jeff Wonder Designs has been making ordinary time extraordinary and Advent an adventure uh, through pyramids, frontals, stoles, banners, paramounts, uh, chasubels, copes miters face masks and i've heard caftans but i'm actually making that up they're not saying i have any wood though right me too like i love that you know and um for those of you out there who haven't heard because we have a lot of new listeners which hey hey deuces um you know that you have the number one the best code on the internet two on one 15 spell it out and put a 15 at the end uh and that gets you 15 percent off your entire stole order which is a birthday gift in unto itself. Well, that's fantastic. I, I'm going to head over to Jeff Wunrow, J-E-F-F-W-U-N-R-O-W.com after today's show and look through the extensive catalog, uh, which is sorted seasonally and by design and has customization options on it and see what I need to buy for my ber- for your birthday, but for me. Yeah. Or you can go to our website, two on one.com. Let's push people to the website. There's an entire page on our website dedicated just to Jeff Wunrow. Are we two on one.com? Or two on one project.com? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Don't go, don't go to two on one.com. Don't go to two on one. <laughs> we cannot guarantee what is listed on two on one.com, but two on one project.com is us. Okay. And yes. <laughs> Sorry, I was just thinking about the time I was looking for Dick's sporting goods and it was in a library. Well, speaking <laughs> of which, well. though, because that could have prompted a freedom of speech case, and I know my rights, man. So let's bring in our guest today. Uh, Travis Smith McKee joins us again on Two on One. Travis, welcome back to Two on One. Hey, where's our theme song? Uh, you you have it. You have it. Yeah, but I had to make that one. <laughs> oh, you made it? Yeah. I was going to say, either way, it did get made. Um, can I tell you? Can I tell you? I don't know if you've introduced me. I don't know what you've done. But um, I did I did have a thought for a theme song that was mainly a ripoff of... Um, uh santa claus is coming to town uh you take the one you add the one take another one you got two on one two on one you got two one one yeah i'm into it we see you when you're sleeping (laughs) (laughs) that's just arthur steph spiff is better than that spiff is much better than that Spiff has no time to watch people sleep (laughs) spiff doesn't sleep anyways except for chris evans no i'm just kidding um Good afternoon, Chris Evans. 
Oh, yeah. Good afternoon, Chris Evans, friend Hi, of the show and target of all of our tweets. Hey, okay, Travis, we're glad you're here. Who are you? What are you doing? What have you done since the last time we had you on the show 100 episodes ago? I'm Saul Goodman. Did you know that you have rights? The Constitution says you do, and so do I. I believe that until proven guilty, every man, woman, and child in this country is innocent. And that's why I fight for you, Albuquerque. Better call Saul. No, I'm not Saul Goodman, but that's a, a great way to, to introduce myself on this. So uh, I am Travis Smith McKee. I am a pastor in Kansas, uh, disciples pastor. Um, so since um, I was last with you all on the show, I walked out my front door. Um, I, so, uh, this is, uh, are, are we still going with the 101st episode right here? This is the 101st episode. It is the 101, it's the 2111st episode. <laughs> um, because I'm, I'm only allowed on every 100 shows now at this point. Um, yeah, which is like weirder than any rules Lauren Michaels has or anything like that. Um, true. so, uh, yeah, I joined you all during at the start of the pandemic and uh this this is me uh coming back so yeah i've stepped out my front door uh i've done a, a handful of things um i live in wichita kansas i uh, got a uh, five-year-old now uh who is not napping while we are taping uh she's at daycare and um my wife is now a hospice chaplain here in wichita like it's weird how much has changed in these last two years uh stuff like that was like two when we started she was two not yet three yeah Yeah. and and was napping (laughs) and was napping and we were all napping and a little bit because we were doing the show for a few weeks until everybody wore their masks and developed a vaccine and like we got over this thing uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and right. Here we are, three seasons later, right. with a book. Travis is one of our contributors to Are You Still Watching? Using pop culture to tune in, find God, and get renewed for another season coming out October 25th from Chalice Press. You can pre order it today at chalicepress.com. You wow. Everywhere. Yeah, it's very exciting. As you were our first guest, and I think you were like our first four episodes, weren't you? You did like first just two, just two. Just two. Yeah. Okay, didn't you do, but you did Parks and Rec and The Office. Parks and Rec and The Office. Y'all were talking Parks and Rec, and I was like, uh, and I just kept commenting on Instagram because Oh, that's right, we brought, yes. Yeah, that's just like, you know. That was a proto episode. It was a proto episode. The Office episode. Which uh, is still. Where I did also wear this jacket. I was like, Uh, I'm pretty sure. That's it. That's my theme, is that I have to come on where guys wear really bad brown jackets. That's it. And so obviously you picked Better Call Saul for this episode. And so talk to us a little bit about uh, why you chose it, uh, how your fandom and uh, why why we should be talking about it. So uh, on on my own end right now, you're picking up, uh, we're, we're talking right now at the point in my Breaking Bad fandom that I picked up on it. Uh, essentially, it was the last season. It was this break in the middle of the season. And I had heard about this show, Breaking Bad. And I was like, well, maybe I should check it out. And I started watching it. And it turns out that they were getting ready to come back with the second half of the season. And so my wife and I caught up to that um, to watch it in real time. And ever since then, I heard, oh, they're making a Better Call Saul, you know, spinoff and everything like that. And and Bob Odenkirk, I mean, you know, I mean- for for as serious and as like action packed or uh, not action necessarily, but you know, like as serious and like, you know, 
tense as this show is, um, Bob Odenkirk is just a great comedian. Uh, he's somebody that I've enjoyed for a long time from Mr. Show and just uh, just in general. So like when I heard like he's getting his own show, I'm going, oh, OK, I'm, I'm interested to see about this. And um, so this show goes back in time. It, it has a few timelines. It has the post Breaking Bad uh, timeline um, and it has the uh, pre Better Call Saul timeline. And then it tells the story of Jimmy McGill who is the lawyer who ends up becoming Saul Goodman. Um, yes, there is a joke in the name. Okay, we all get it, good. Um, but Saul Goodman. Uh, and uh, anyway, um, so it, it really just picks up, you know, telling his story, but it also introduced several other characters that just are like some of the richest characters you can find on TV. Kim Wexler is his um, coworker, and then girlfriend, and then law partner, and then like uh, partner in crime, and uh, so many different things. Um, that she's such a a, a great um, a great character uh, on this episode that we don't know what happens to her in Breaking Bad. Um, uh, I have a, uh, a a thing that says I'm more worried about Kim Wexler than I am most of my friends and family. Um, <laughs> well, right. So I'm I'm actually going to interrupt here just for yeah. a little housekeeping test up just just for the record so friends as you did hear stephanie say like she has not seen breaking bad so we're not going to inundate her with spoilers because we do want to respect the fact that like she's holding on to this but because of this uh right travis you, you pointed to this we don't know what happens to kim wexler and there's only a few episodes left and she might get six there's six episodes left she could die she could move to spain she could, like whatever we don't know yeah great so here's my question because I want to talk about this. The um, discussion about scripture is that we have the first four and a half acts of a five-act play, and we know the ending. If you want to say that Revelation is the ending, which it's not, but whatever, we know the kingdom of God or reign of God or whatever. Right now, we're kind of in the denouement of the parousia and of Better Call Saul. Denouement of the parousia. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, I went to grad school. Yay. Yay. We're, we're in the back half of Act 5. What do we, how do we build up excitement and suspense and mystery for the church, Big C Church, like they have with Better Call Saul? What can we learn from that? You know, just because you know what, like, and and um, there's a few characters that were that, you know, besides Kim, uh, that now in the middle of season six, we know do not go on to Breaking Bad. Um, mm -hmm. They're not they're not in Breaking Bad. So I'm not giving you any spoilers or something like that. But, you know, there's a couple of others that you're kind of like, I watched them for five seasons in Breaking Bad. I know that they're going to live. I like I'm not worried about them. And at the same rate like you feel like you kind of know where things are going to wind up, but you just really get to like delve into what is it this person has to say? This person is a lot more than just, you know, I am a person who gets, you know, a functional person who gets you from point A to point B, but really like I am a person with a story to tell with something that, um, that informs who you are. And I have my flaws and, and faults and different things like that. Um, you know, right now I just uh, picked up preaching in Philippians, uh, the last uh, letter of Paul, 
um, where, well, yeah, I know. Okay. Anyway, for broad strokes, uh, comparisons real quick. Uh, but, uh, the idea of like, you know, we, we don't know what happens to, oh, Hey, another Saul. Uh, anyway, we don't know what necessarily happens to him. Um, and there are a lot of people who will take Paul's writings as, well, this is the way that I get to tell you what to do and what not to do, um, you know, in a way that Jesus didn't tell us, you know, all these fine point details about whether women should cover their heads during worship or weird things like that. I'm going to use Paul's voice to do it. Um, and it's like they, they use Paul as like a functional person to give us a new set of rules. Whereas like when you take Paul as in a larger context, he's a man with flaws, He's a man with nuance. He's a man with details. And if you're looking at his story, you're seeing who he is more than you're seeing like what he represents. Is that a long way to get to your answer? <laughs> well, I think that I'm, I'm curious because uh, Arthur, I like that question. Like, how do we keep people engaged when you already know the ending in a way? Right. Is that what I'm, I'm, I'm hearing as the. Right. Especially in the I'm going to say white but i don't mean exclusively white white american mainline protestantism yeah because we think we know the ending and i think that that's where the uh i think it's why i like tv so much and why i uh, go back to the same shows often over and over again is because i'll watch it focusing on different characters and spaces and things like that and i think that we gain traction and we gain momentum and and excitement when we as faith leaders, or our community, I hope does, when we as faith leaders can help them focus on a new part of the story so that the ending doesn't feel rote, the mm. ending doesn't feel like you already know what happens. Like the whole reason, okay, so whatever happens in Breaking Bad, right? Like, and essentially that this is a prequel. So it's like, oh, I already know the entire the end of this world, right? Why are people excited to watch it? It's because you get more of the story. You get to focus on new people and places and your world gets bigger in, 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 in prequels. And essentially what we do all year long as faith leaders is like give you nuggets of a prequel until you get to the main, you know, until you get to that ending in which we then once again say, but this ending is new. You mean so, so like in the season of Advent? <laughs> Which is almost here. I mean, like in Easter, we still. No. <laughs> um, so let me let me add into that. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I just did some baptisms recently, and uh, I really am clarifying for my congregation that baptism is not hell insurance, right? Because so often we think of like, as long as I'm baptized, then I'm not going to hell, and that is. Hell is in that viewing of it. Hell is the end of the story. You know, am sure. I going to heaven? Am I going to hell? Uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter at the end of the day what goes on in between because I know what I'm doing at the ending. Whereas, like you're filling in you're filling in details, like you said, you know, you're enriching the story right there. But also, it's not just like oh, you want to know a little bit more about this or you want to know a little bit more about this. No, actually, like living it out is the purpose of it, you know, being a part of that community and being invested in the people that you're seeing is absolutely part of that. Um, I, uh, I'm doing the gospel of Mark right now. 
like really slow at Riverside. Like it's it's going to take us a year to get through the 16 chapters of the Gospel of Mark. I'm sorry, I'm jumping in on your point because I think we're making the yeah. same point. And it's there's the stories like, hey guys, what are the first five chapters of Mark? He Jesus tours, he exercises, he heals people, he cleanses lepers, uh, he teaches, and he prays by himself. Like that's the first four chapters. Who cares? Let's get to the meat. Uh, and there's a lot of good stuff in oh my gosh chapters. And I mean, like it's it's am I preaching like on cleansing a leper like five times in the next year? Yeah, but is each story different? Well, I hope so. When you <laughs> wait, you know, I'll, I'll I'll put my spiff spin on this. Right, we want to gloss over all of those the the healing, the feeding, the teaching, you know, all of those things because it's women's work. <laughs> I didn't think about that. And so we, oh. it's not, it's not the exciting. You know what I mean? Like. Yes, we could get people in if you did the like, well, this bear eats 37 children or whatever it is. 42. You know what I mean? And like, what? It's 42. Okay. okay. Sorry. Two bears. Um, well, okay. Sorry. It was meant to make a random point, but that that is, you know what I mean? Like, sure. If, if you preach only on that or, you know, when Axe is like, you can't be drunk before 9 a.m. and be like, let me show you some pictures in college. Um, you know, like things like that. You're like, cool. Like, that's fun and funny and like get, would get people at least for the moment or the Sunday to come in. Right. But it's that longer. How does yeah. how does the mundaneness of life still become intriguing um, and it's because, I, well, and I think, and this is what these shows that focus on extraordinarily unextraordinary people and, you know, extraordinarily unextraordinary lives, that it's, you know, the mundaneness of relationship uh, is extraordinary. And so you care about Kim, even though this is a story about Saul or Jimmy Saul, you care about all the people um, in the world that you are learning about because your world gets bigger. And so you, I hope people keep coming back because again, you don't know actually what happens. What would, what would be an entire uh, teaching of Mark for a year from the lens of any one of the Marys or through the lens of, you know, like just, and, and, and it's midrash and it's, you know what I mean? And that's part of, I think the, um, the excitement that comes in is the un that kind of liminal unknown. I think that's the joy of Midrash. In it. Um, so there's a character named Huel. Uh, oh, yes. Huel in Breaking Bad. I don't think this is a spoiler. You're it? okay. Just go. Huel in Breaking Bad does one thing, and he's told to sit on a couch and 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 like and the joke that happened was like we never find out what happened to Huel. So they're like, oh, my God, he starved to death because he just stayed on that couch forever. And that's not what happened. We don't know. Huel actually has a personality and like strengths. And, oh, my gosh. And like life in Better Call Saul. And I maybe. OK, so this is Better Call Saul is canonical, but it's midrash. Or that is its story that elaborates and enhances. Are we ultimately called to. Hmm, I almost have a question. I'm Arthuring. I'm sorry. There's something. Okay, so I want to come back to something that that Spiff was saying. Then um, you were talking about like kind of the mundane and and things like that. There's a um, there's a podcast that I enjoy listening to called The Watch. That is a um, The Watch is all about like 
TV shows and, uh, you know, a couple guys that have Hold been on, writing can, can as I journalists. Pause you because quite... you went, you went away. Sorry there. And yeah, I got a phone call that apparently comes up on every device I'm ever using. No worries. Just go back to, and there's, there's a, see. there's a, a podcast that I watch called, go back yeah. and I'll put that in. Okay. There's a podcast I watch called, uh, that I listen to called The Watch that uh, they really enjoy Better Call Saul and they talk about it quite a bit, but they talk about TV shows and, and the way that they dig into, um, you know, the making of it and various things like that. One of the things that they have, um, what, yeah, uh, you're the, I, you're the, I apologize for acknowledging that there are other podcasts besides two on one. No. Um, but uh, no, uh, this one of the things that I like about it is they spend some time kind of giving their little critiques about the show. And one of them is they say, this show is slower than Breaking Bad mm. because there's episodes of Doc Review where Kim is kind of in a way being punished for like siding with Jimmy. Um, and so she gets put into Doc Review and you see her just getting box after box and going through it and things like that. But what's great about it is that exact same mentality is what gets her out of the struggles that she's in. Uh, there's this uh, there's a story arc where she is in doc review for siding with Jimmy on uh, some things, and her boss and uh, in at times Jimmy's boss uh, kind of you know puts puts her there, and so she's trying to find a way to earn her way out of doc review because. Um, the the way to get out of doc review she starts calling every contact every person that she knows and says hey are you needing some lawyer you know do you need a lawyer for this that or the other that sort of thing and you just see her writing these names putting them on um post-it notes and putting them on the window and marking them off one at a time and going through all these ridiculous conversations until finally she gets to her friend Paige who now happens to be working for a bank who's starting this process of a, an aggressive expansion. And this is going to be like multi-million dollar contracts for the law firm. And she's able to take that to her boss. Now, here's what I love about it, though. That's doc review. It can be boring. It can be a lot of like, what are we doing with this? But it's also really good to watch. This is the grit. This is a determination. This is the character of Kim Wexler and why she's doing what she's doing. Ooh, I, I like that. And I will, and I'm uh, curious. So I had brought up earlier um, in our, in our pre-conversations, our pre-interview, uh, you know, chats. If you become our sponsor on Patreon, you can hear these pre-interviews starting at the $25 a month tier. I'm kidding, but that'd be awesome. You start a Patreon because, um, Find yeah. out more about our Patreon at two on one dot com. Go there. Uh, OK, but I have a question about Kim. So and, and this kind of because as I watched some, you know, because I didn't watch all the episodes because I just didn't. You can't. Uh, you can't. It's a lot. It's a lot. It, but it's good. I mean, like I, I actually intend to actually watch it. I just prepping for the show. Didn't get all the way there. But there were noticings early even early on about those types of um 
about Kim's character and about what, you know, kind of her, her tenacity and her, you know, like her, her kind of focus, even in episode one, where you don't entirely know what they're talking about, but you know, they're mm. against the wall and Jimmy goes like, can you do it? And she's like, I just can't. And they, they, there's clearly already something there. There is, she has boundaries. What We don't know what they are, but you know, she definitely has, has these kind of clear ideas of, of who she is and how she fits in the system. But one of the things that I was curious about, and I'm curious about what y'all think of this, is that I saw a real, like, immediate understanding and parallel to Saul and or Jimmy and Kim at, as kind of the uh, evangelical movement, mega church, mm. kind of uh, charismatic, not charismatic in like the faith tradition, but like charisma. Um, and I get immediately in a world full of lawyers, which are, you know, suit and tie, button up people, you get the first thing that you see Jimmy come in and just bust through those doors and he is everywhere. And there is something that throws you off kilter about people like that in a way that makes you curious about what comes next. And so she kind of hitches her wagon to his in lots of different ways. Well, yeah. in part her own space, but it's a tactic that the church uses all the time. We see a lot of these mega church, you know, new age church kind of pastors coming in with, you know, big, bold, la, 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 you know, and people gleam onto it. Um, and is that a, a faithful tool for us as faith leaders? Should that, should we lean more into uh, that if that is, I guess, your um, space, that big charisma, that off-kiltering move to get people curious and get them in. There's certainly like this attraction to the pastor, um, which gets me in trouble often when I'm at uh, congregations um, because I really try to make it not about a pastor thing, um, which by the way, we've been a half hour into this and we haven't talked about the Enneagram. As a five, yeah, of course I love it when it's not all about me. Um, I love it when it when I can deflect and when I can work behind the scenes. And the um, question was a real three question, so. <laughs> but but they're looking like there is always. What I notice about you know like one of my favorite fives uh, was at his church for twenty five years, um, and just a a calm, easy spiritual presence with his congregation. Um, but, you know, Jimmy uh, is coming in as a lawyer. He's not trained at it. Jimmy is a grifter of grifters. That is what he does. He's good at it and he's really good at it. But he puts himself through law school because technically you have to go to law school. Technically you have to pass the bar. And he does it by going to the University of American Samoa, go banana slugs. And, um, you know, he's not qualified. His brother, uh, which is a great dynamic in, in this series, his brother, Chuck, did go to like University of New Mexico Law School and like is well known within the law and, and all these sort of details that it's just like, you know, he has done everything right. And yet Jimmy comes in and can just talk. Everybody loves to hear him talk and exactly. they just hitch their wagon onto him. At one point, Chuck talks to Kim and says, you have hitched your wagon to him, even though he will be the destruction of you. 
spoilers, it may be a different dynamic of Kim might be the destruction of Jimmy at some point, um, <laughs> which is uh, one of the fun dynamics coming out, especially this season and, and affecting all the others. So like, so yeah, you're right there in that if you can talk well, if you can get your your message across really well, people will follow you. But just because they're following you doesn't mean that things are without consequences. And I think that's that's a reality that we're seeing, you know, um, you know, there are big names that this is happening with of uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, you know, Catholic churches, you know, uh, things like that. The the pastor that you know admitted to um uh raping a 16 year old uh right he admitted to adultery but then she from the congregation was like i was 16 yeah and and like he thinks i can get up there and i can say like here's the way that you should forgive me and there's no consequences to it um now it's going to take a while but there are some consequences to you know better call Saul. There, there really are some some real consequences that that we're finding. And um, it's, you know, I, so what are you hitching your wagon to? What are you getting yourself into? And it's like that, you know, give an inch, you'll you'll end up giving a mile type thing. And that happens repeatedly. I think I think it's a I think there's a level of authenticity in this. And I mean, you know, you, you, when you get to see actual Jimmy McGill, you get to see actual Jimmy McGill. And speaking as the seven on the Enneagram on this call, uh, as as Travis's dark side, um, it, by the way, total side note, there was one day that Olivia C., friend of the show, who did Brooklyn Nine-Nine with us just a few weeks ago, Olivia and I were talking to Travis, and Travis, as a five in strength, goes to Olivia, and then in insecurity goes to me, and it was like the devil and the angel on his shoulder, and it was kind of hilarious. Uh, Any how sorry, as a... So within this, like, I absolutely want to bring everyone along with whatever idea I have. And then I get so frustrated when they don't do the work on the idea. Yeah. Um, it is 100% like I'm just, like, I will, I always want to bolt, right? And Travis, Travis gets calls from me and talks to me off the ledge far too frequently where I'm like, that's it. You're going to be one of my recommenders. I'm moving to Spain. Um, haven't yet. Not going to. Thank you, Riverside. Uh, it is a, so I think it's, it's the cult of personality. There has to be personality. And I love what you said about the five. Like I, I, I like fives when they're authentically themselves. And I know that personality is what we're not, not what we are, but when people actually lean into how and who they are and they have to know, uh, what is Saul's nickname or Jimmy's nickname when he works in the mailroom, Jimmy, go get him or, um, Oh, uh, well, so Jimmy, Jimmy has a lot of nicknames. Uh, Howard Hamlin, the the one of the um, partners in Hamlin, Hamlin, McGill, Chuck McGill as the other one there. Um, Howard Hamlin calls him uh, uh, Charlie Hustle. Charlie Hustle. Yeah. Like when we when we see Jimmy as who he is, it's the best part. And even when we see Jimmy in conflict or Jimmy and uh, not being him best self, his best self, the uh, when you get to the point where you're like, here's how you're going to forgive me to a congregation of people that you've been called to serve, you have lost yourself. Mm. Now, I, I always point back to right-sizing, which is a great concept from recovery communities. And I've actually developed that as my understanding of sin. A person can become far too big, 
take on the uh, attributes of the divine can decide that their will or their way is way bigger than what it is in community. And a person become way too small and become a doormat and um, I completely lose oneself. And being in the right space is being in right proportion and balance, um, which requires intention and also place and provision and personality. Um, I've, I've lost my thread and I beg your pardon, but I think there's something. No, I think you're right in there, but the, the, and because in part, right, is that Jimmy and Saul, it, big personalities, right, it, it attract something. They're attractive. They 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 catch it. Um, but Kim, we know right off the bat, has this like you know kind of grit and strength and focus and can do the work and goes to law school, you know, and like does the stuff and get overlooked gets under uh valued maybe gets you know like like Charles said may actually be the downfall right but no one's paying attention to her because we women aren't lifted up in the same she could be just as charismatic as uh as Saul Jimmy but she's never going to get that same respect and go to right I as a female preacher uh, Travis, you say, you know, oh, there's the attraction to the pastor. It's very different as a female pastor, what that attraction looks like and manifests yeah. as, uh, because the amount of times that like I've gone someplace or even served some places where like the old dudes, when we used to robe would be like, oh, so you're going to unrobe as if that's an appropriate thing to say to your pastor, um, things like that. <laughs> and, wow. uh, yeah. And so like what, I get how Kim trying to make a way for herself and even nobly, maybe at first, I'm not entirely sure of her intentions throughout the entire thing because I haven't seen it, but like there is, you know, hey, people are paying attention to this guy and I have dreams too. And so I think that that's what is often the downfall of the church is that we overlook people's dreams and gifts that are. Uh, under or under the shadow of those that come out big swinging, big, big energy, pay attention to me, look mm. at my problems, look at all these things. And the rest of the people are just trying to put their head down and, you know, like do the, the faithful work. Um, and so I'm curious if you all see that as, uh, or how can we right size those that come in with bigger energy um, because that's all that maybe that's authentic to them and that's wonderful, but it doesn't require all of our attention that we generally often give it. There, there are, there are so many different details that go along with this. Um, I, so, I mean, you know, for, for anybody, uh, the whole series is on Netflix, um, up until, uh, I don't know, there's streaming rights and things like that right now. So season six is going to be hard to catch up on. Um, AMC, I don't know what, right. I think you have to buy it through the AMC, the AMC app. The AMC app already has the first three episodes off the app now, and it's like, wait, what? Anyway, that's a whole other nitpicky thing. But um, my point being is that uh, you know it is worth seeing and and worth watching these um, because like you're noticing in in a in a sitcom. Let's take Friends, right? You know, uh, the idea that, you know, you have um, Ross and Rachel and will they and won't they and stuff like that. And they never really grow. They never really change. You know, Ross maybe gets a monkey at some point. Sure. Ross, but Ross like, goes crazy because yeah. they're anti-intellectual racist weirdos. I hate. Well, them. that's a whole other thing. 
but you get what I'm saying that that the whole idea is like they as an individual, this is their character and they don't change. They don't grow. They don't do anything else beyond that. Um, whereas uh, in this series, um, you know, to call to call him Jimmy is to um, note, you know, the guy from Cicero uh, and, you know, the slipping Jimmy and, and things like that. To call him James Morgan McGill Esquire is to see his, the air of lawyer that he tries to present. To call him Charlie Hustle is to have, you know, a whole other thing. And then to call him Saul Goodman um, is to see like another entire personality that's coming out here. And um, at the end, at the end of the first season, uh, Jimmy has a, a pretty big loss uh, from his slip and Jimmy days. And he like he's trying to tap into the idea of who he is in the face of that loss. And so what he does is he um, takes the pinky ring of his friend and he starts wearing it. Who wears a pinky ring? Right. No one. <laughs> but like, oh, you do. Well, OK. Uh, sorry, I don't see it on there right now. But like but I'm assuming it's not the the kind with like, you know, uh, that that he's wearing that's kind of like a you know that's definitely like a huckster kind of uh vibe with it and he um and so when he when he adopts that personality he's trying to say like i'm shutting out the world and i don't care what the rest of the world does i'm going to be selfish for me and then he goes oh but i can't do that anymore i'm seeing what happens when i try to be selfish for me mm. and it hurts the people around me that's season one into, into the first episode of season two. And yet there's still five more seasons worth of stuff in there where he's learning how to tune that out. And my goodness, like in order to gain that personality, in order to gain the right sizing and, and things like that that you're talking about right there, he's learning how to tune out that inner voice that actually does care. The Jimmy that does care about his brother, the Jimmy that does care about his uh, girlfriend, uh, you know, and, and things like that. Like the Jimmy that cares about other people is slowly going away. And, and it's like, it is, it is absolutely a tale of here's what not to do. You know, um, have you all done Mad Men um, on no. this? Okay. <laughs> My wife the other day was like, why did we watch Mad Men? Don Draper was awful. Truly, <laughs> truly terrible. Well, yeah. And like, there's still something that draws you into it. And if you're watching it and not going, don't be this way. You know, if you're watching it and, and, and you don't have this reminder to that, this is not a good thing, what he's being, what he's doing. It can be, it can be easy to lose yourself in that as well. Well, and I wonder as you were just talking, and this is just coming to me because I watched Mad Men. I, well, I watched it to a point. I, I, at one point I like just couldn't, I, it, it wasn't interesting anymore because I was sick of trying to re to wrap my head around redemption for just terrible humans often. Yeah. And I, like there's a lot of that in TV that is written by men for, I don't know if it's for men, but like by white men for white men as like a, hey, some of us are really shitty, but there's redemption for us all. <laughs> and like if you give up a modicum of privilege on your own terms. 
do they? I don't know. Don Draper like n- truly never does. And so like, yeah, it's one of those things where I've I, like, I watch this and don't get me wrong. I, you know, I'm engaged and I watch it too, but there's a lot of like, Hey, not all the bad guys out there. Even the bad guys that are labeled bad guys aren't always bad guys, which I want to say is true as someone who operates in grace. And right. also like it's shoved in our faces so often. Like, here you go. You have to like, at what point do we, as the church say, and this is a question, question Arthur brings up all the time, right? Like, do we have to be the church for every, at what point do we say, God loves you? This is just not your space, right? There was a conversation on Twitter and I'm, I'm loving theology Twitter the last few months. There was one about, does the table have limits? Um, and where does the table have limits? And Melissa Flora Bexler. Oh Melissa my Flora goodness. Yeah. Did this great thread. And also a uh, friend of the show, Sarah Maurice Brubaker did this. Yes. Oh my gosh. And she said, there have to be limits. It can't be held against people, blah, blah, blah. And she ends it with basically communion can't just be po buddies nerfect, have a snack. And I, I, I think that's. Honestly, I think Don Draper and I think the, the white guy redemption thing is once again, a you're going to forgive me on my terms. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I would struggle with how in the Scottish play written by Shakespeare, the best marriage in all of Shakespeare is between Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. They have like the strongest partnership. They are co-equal. They are murderous scoundrels and one loses her mind and the other one gets beheaded. It's, it's, and they actually get their comeuppance in that. I think we, at some point, the storytelling was like, but what if you liked the villains instead of it being villains ultimately in our stories and in our mythos have to get theirs or do they? But yeah, they do. But do they? I don't know. Well, I think we're postured to to see often people in our scriptures as the villains or whatever. Right. And so it, it helps. I think these types of narrative storytelling of are they redeemable? Are they really that bad? You know, it, you know, how deep is the sin in which you won't forgive? Like, it, it, it helps you see people in your scriptures a little bit more easier. It helps you understand why Jesus is telling you, you still got to love, you still got to do the thing, you know? And so I get it, but also uh, it becomes rote if there is no, um, or it becomes kind of just perfunctory. If it, if there's nothing behind the, the call for the redemption, they don't change. And I think that that's what gets back to Travis's point is like, Saul, Jimmy, like all, you know, all of the many manifestations of this character, uh, he grows and we're engaged because we see season one, a, 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 a call to reckoning of his own accord. Right. And then season two, you're like, I hope he gets better or whatever. And the people that he engages with different and get better. And like, and we, that's the hope of all of this. It's the hope of the gospels. It's the hope of church is that like with each new day and each new interaction, you grow. And I think that that goes back to Arthur's kind of uh, uh, Daniel question earlier on is like, uh, how do we keep people engaged? It's that there is, there's the promise of hope. Yeah. Yeah, there, there absolutely is. Um, So the other fun thing about this uh, show um, you know, uh, and the ending of, I, I don't think you can talk about Better Call Saul without this little bit of the ending of uh, Breaking Bad. Um, Earmuffs, Biff. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and Walter okay. White is, is not like a redeemable character in a lot of ways. 
uh, just spoiler alert, you know, as if you couldn't tell from the genre or something. But um, okay, so Saul is uh, taken away by a fixer, right? Um, and uh, a guy who's going to give him a new life and get him away from the, all the things that he has entwined himself in. And so he goes to, um, he, he's like making the joke, like, I'm going to end up being a, uh, you know, I'm going to be end up working at a Cinnabon in Omaha. And so the very first scene of the very first episode of Better Call Saul is making Cinnabons in Omaha, <laughs> you know, and like, this is his story and this is his his life that's going in there but more importantly you know why why i'm bringing that up in there is like he's lost it he's lost everything uh it's it, he's called gene takovic again another name yeah. in this is that he's called gene takovic during these uh the the future episode or future flash forwards i guess that are always in black and white uh fun fun detail right there but like you'll see him in these watching the tapes of Better Call Saul, which was like a big deal. His face was all over billboards and bus stops and and things like that. And he was on commercials and just like really doing all this big all out stuff. And so you see Gene in Omaha hiding in his uh, apartment putting on those tapes and just like missing who he was, you see that he's lost so much. And so um, one of those questions that we have in these next six episodes is what happens to Gene? Do we get a resolution further on of who he is, what goes on with him? And is, and, and I think what you spend six seasons going through is where is the Jimmy buried under here? Does Gene ever uncover the Jimmy that cared about his brother, that cared about Kim, that cared about, you know, all these other sorts of folks? Or has Saul just taken over everything? And even in his own grief, you know, like you watch Gene sitting there, you know, having a uh, having a drink, watching old tapes and like being fearful and all these other sort of things like his grief is going through there of like, oh, Maybe that wasn't all that I thought it was. Maybe I did some real harm and I need to get that back. Um, that's, a, that's a real question that we have right now of like, what, what, is, what is Gene's role within all of this? Well, and I saw as I was watching that, because uh, again, it throws you that it's the very first that you learn the Cinnabon Gene space is like the very first scene of the very first episode. And I'm like, what is this? You know? And then as you keep watching and then I did some reading and research and I had like this moment and this isn't my final answer, although I guess it probably could have been, is that it feels like Jimmy. And I don't mean this in the bad sense. Um, so if you think of like the Lucifer television, right? Like don't, Oh yeah. we're not going to like devil, like, so, but like Lucifer, Satan sort of a thing, right? Like where is the, the fallen angel, like you get too big for yourself. You kind of humble yourself back down and somewhere in there is the angel God created that is remorseful and longing for exactly and longing for a, a life that is true, a life that is different because Saul isn't a true life. It was just a noticeable one. Hmm. And and this gets to where the church needs to be talking about that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. The church doesn't, I, I mean, as far as like white evangelical mainline church that are, you know, evangelical or mainline church that I've got experience with, we don't talk about 
Lucifer in the same way. Or if we if we talk about the devil, it is the devil is the one that makes you do the bad things. Mm -hmm. Whereas like understanding, no, Lucifer comes from, you know, God's angels. Lucifer is beloved by God, you know, at at in in some ways, in some point. Like, do we have the capacity to hold those tensions and that nuance? Um or are we just looking for this good, this bad? There we are. I, I think we've fallen into looking for this good, this bad. I think I think when we go black and white, that is when that is when ultimately things like I I think church ultimately is practicing nuance together. Um, and I think we fail at great. it a lot of the time because, like you know, it, the, the more we get into like the body politics type stuff of the body of Christ type things and everything else, like what does it mean to say coming back to the table? Christ now inhabits you and it inhabits the person that you hate that you were supposed mm. to be with before you both came to this table because you two are the representation of Christ in this world. Not only the representation, but the embodiment. So how you participate with each other and as individuals speaks to the divine and the divine. And, and the seriousness, like what happens when you're both coming to the table to recognize, yes, you have done some things that have harmed me. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, and I'm going to ignore them so that I can come get a snack during the middle of worship too. It is, we are committing together to look at what harms we have done to each other and, and ways that we, that we grow in truly expressing grace. And that's the kind of stuff like um, Melissa Fuller Bexler and, and Sarah Maurice Brubaker have all, have all been about right here is it's like, you know, what happens to the person who is continuously doing that? And, and you see this at church where people are just like, oh, you know, that's just so-and-so. That's what they always do. And it's like, at what point do you, do you do that? And I have found from, you know, my own personal experience that when I decenter and, and, and remove that person from their power, that's only half of the issue. Mm -hmm. The question is how to get them back involved, because then you still have the residual of people who are going, I'm still on that person's side. I, I still want to see, you know, them. Uh, I, I still have love and care for them. And so, like, finding ways to um, to reincorporate is still a further commitment beyond you did bad things, you go away. Now, obviously, there's some instances of, like, abuse you know, some, some things like that, that it's like, you need to stay away for the health of this community. But, it, but even in those conversations you were talking about, at what point do they have redemption that, that goes beyond the, you're going to forgive me on my own terms? Well, and I think that that's right. Like that's, I think that's my problem with some of these shows is that like, it's the, on your own terms, because you, if you have done the harm, you don't get to say when, the the healing is done or when mm -hmm. you know so like if you know our whatever those that have been harmed our black and brown siblings do not have to sit at the same table as white supremacists um until they do the inviting right until they yeah. until they say i you know the work that we you know i I have seen or I have witnessed and been involved in whatever whatever it looks like in every individual's kind of circumstance right um uh, 
is only when that then there's a there's a place for you. We're not going to cover up your, you know, like there is a place setting for you. We're not put filling someone else there. You will always, you know, have that place if you do the work to get there. Grace mm-hmm. offers it to you fully and first, right? You get to be there, but you also may be asked to leave um, mm-hmm. for the health of that space. We're not going to put someone else in your space. There's always going to be room for you at the table, but your welcome at the table doesn't always need to be extended by every person sitting. And so... And, and the richness of this show, um, you know, uh, the watch podcast talks about this um, and that there's essentially two shows. We're called there's two on show. one. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're the only uh, podcast. Yeah. We're called two on one. We don't have a theme song, but, you know. <laughs> um, take the one, add the one, add another one. You got two on one. All right. Um, the uh, just just clip that. And there you go. Uh, no. Um, but when they when they talk about it, they say that there's essentially two shows because we have not spent much time talking about and some of this is not to spoil the breaking badness of it you know breaking bad goes with the um the drug trade and uh you know the albuquerque underworld uh that is that and there's a family called the salamanca family that has you know and and the different things that they have going back and forth in this and what's most fascinating to me about the tension of the salamanca family is like they're trying to figure out how do we still get along in the drug trade, knowing that we're related, knowing that we have to get along because there is an authority above us that is saying we have to be part of the same team. And um, and, and in all those sort of ways, like there's just this fact that, you know, Nacho and Don Hector Salamanca can't get kicked out of the family. They can't be gone entirely. Well, aside from death um but uh you know they can't be removed so what does it look like to continue to be family in spite of that and um you know again that goes oh go ahead sorry oh no go ahead no it's like it's called breaking bad right it's like what are those cycles that we are like the breakingness of it because doesn't the entire thing start right because this is better call Saul is a prequel like isn't it in part like he makes or he gets into the drug trade because he needs like there's a health scare like there's has something to do with like not having access yeah he has cancer it's not you don't have full access to to health care you know what i mean it's all connected we aren't making these into yes some people do and yes there's mental health issues which i think also better call Saul touches on too in some in some ways but it's like we're all connected because even as far removed as meth dealers in Albuquerque feel from, uh, you know, me as a pastor in New York City, the struggle for healthcare is real. And I get that. And the fear around life and death and what it means to be whole and healed and in community is something that we all struggle with. Oh, yeah. And I think that's the important part of community. I kind of realized as we were talking Um like outside of my spouse, I think you two are the people that I fight best with. Like, no, and I mean that because like I Bold star. Well, no, I mean like Spiff, like you and I every single week are in conversation. We co-edited this book together. We're 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 we consistently show up for each other and we check in on the whole like, are your needs being met? What do you, like did I overstep on you? Did you know you overstepped on me in this way? And it's kind of a gracious thing. And Travis, I mean, you and I have had a roller coaster as well in a in a good way like it, it's the intentional choice to show up for one another mm-hmm. letting the relationship evolve with the foundational faith which is more about relational belief that it will be 
okay, if not great. Well, there's a truth there. And I think that's where all of this comes down to, right? In part, what what does it mean for, we want to believe that lawyers act in truth, right? That you are innocent until Travis comes on, right? I believe you are innocent, you know, blah, blah, all that whole thing. And that there's that line, right? You're innocent until proven guilty and whatever. If we come into that, that like what you say is your truth. And I believe that until proven otherwise, uh, that is, I think in part, some of the ways in which we as a community, we as faith leaders, we as, you know, a society can show up better. Arthur and I have to say this all the time, like, wow, this is probably one of my healthiest relationships because we went right into it being like, I don't have to wonder if Arthur is mad at me because if I ask him and he says, no, I believe him. And there aren't a whole lot of people in my life that I have that with because I constantly think everybody is always mad at me um, or always hates me and, uh, you know, all of that. And so I think that there is something that this show points us towards, which is looking for Mm. truth and looking for, uh, yeah, the, looking for the truth of who we are and who we are to each other. Um, yeah. That keeps us coming back. And I would say that is the same for the gospel. But we do need to be cognizant of our time. Travis, thank you so much for coming. It is a, yeah. uh, always, it's always fun to talk to you and I, and, and you and Arthur, you know, we're always having these like long conversations elsewhere. It's nice to have them here and in front of our, uh, and with our deuces. Um and thank you for bringing Better Call Saul and making me, forcing me to finally sit down and watching uh, this world in which I have been um, so excited to engage. Yet, have it's just your good legal drama. <laughs> um, but Travis, um, what, uh, what biblical theme, book, narrative, uh, verse, character, anything are you most reminded of in Better Call Saul? So we didn't get into a ton of it uh, in our conversation here, but um, I absolutely. One of my favorite dynamics, and 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 I gave you all a couple of episodes that talked about this dynamic uh, ahead of time too, uh, but we just didn't get into it because there are so many different ways to go with this show. There are so many different uh, levels to it. Uh, it's not a didactic necessarily, you know, show. But um, one of the dynamics that I truly love is Jimmy and his brother Chuck. And you see it, you know, flashbacks of flashbacks, um, flashback in a sequel. I don't know. Anyway, or in a prequel, I mean, Um, but you learn so much about what it is for these two to be brothers and the jealousies that they have of each other, the ways that they worry about how they communicate and and things like that. And so, I mean, you know, family dramas, family dynamics are obviously uh, something that uh, go throughout throughout all of it. But, you know, um, Esau and um, and Isaac, right? Yes. Jacob, Jacob. Esau and Jacob. Thank you. Uh, I Yeah. Anyway, Esau and Jacob, like the ways that they struggle with each other and the jealousies and the trying to win up one over the other and which one mom loves more and things like that. There's a lot of that just kind of, and and again, when you read it in our text, in our scriptures, it's short, you know, it's not a huge story, but Midrash uh, and things like that let you flesh it out. And so I kind of think of like at least, you know, a few seasons of Midrash where we're really looking at what his relationship with his brother looks like. Mm. I like it. Uh, 
I was actually going to do Jacob and Esau, but I don't ever double up. So I don't know if you guys know this, but I've been doing a pretty deep study of the Corinthian letters. Um, and the better, I think saying Saul is Paul is a cheaper answer, except the more I do the Corinthians letters, the more I get to try to see a bit more of like who Saul Paul really is. And he's a code switcher. He absolutely says he's a code switcher. He's trying to be all things for all people for the sake of the gospel. So second Corinthians 10 through 13 uh, is like the angry letter where he's like, I'm going to come in there and start whomping y'all with compassion and show you these super apostles are ridiculous, but there's this deep need to belong with Paul. Um, and you know, it's the whole, like, it's, I don't want to go for, too far into it because I'm getting the glare from Spiff of you can talk about Paul for 60 seconds. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. Um, I think there is a, a humanness and an inhumanness to Saul. And I think that's evident with Paul. And because I've seen a bit more of the show, I'm also going to say that Kim has major Thecla vibes. And for the second week in a row, I'm going to talk about Paul and Thecla as my final answer. I love Thecla, naturally. I'm going to go with Moses, Aaron, and uh, Miriam as Chuck, Saul, and Kim, because mm-hmm. Moses generally is accepted within like rabbinic Judaism, like as a kind of legendary fictional character. There is an understanding that there was a life there in which there was, you know, like that he led, but who that who the truth of that is 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 a little bit still up for uh within judaism um t- for debate not my space to debate but i'm just in the historical understanding but also they don't necessarily make it to the promised land where uh, there's uncertainty to who is uh leading and what does miriam get to go does miriam uh move on there's this liminal space especially uh as they uh, kind of approach what is the end as to who makes it who doesn't and why mm, yeah i love it friends uh this has been two on one episode 101 with the reverend Tra- travis smith mckee uh, Travis, thank you very much for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you in like 2025 or whatever. Uh, friends, please be sure to check out our sponsor, Jeff Wonrow at jeffwonrow.com for all of your liturgical textile needs. They are celebrating 17 years of making ordinary time extraordinary. And Travis, if you buy some stoles, you can use our promo code 2on115 and you can get 15% off your entire stole order. And on behalf of the show, I'm the Reverend Arthur Stewart. I'm the Reverend Stephanie Kendall. I'm the Reverend Travis Smith McKee. Better call Travis, and we'll see you next week. Later, deuces. Get more 2-on-1 at 2on1project.com.